Chapter 17 Do the dead ever return? Thus far Sundarachodar had been speaking as though recounting the experiences of a third person. Now he switched his narrative. I am about to tell you something no father would ever share with his daughter, my beloved one. Something I have kept locked away within my heart all this time and never revealed to a single soul save my friend Aniruddhan. And even he does not know all. He has no idea, for instance, of the turmoil that rages in my mind. But now I shall tell you. Someone in our family ought to know the truth. Not your mother, but I have thought for some time that I could reveal all to you. And today, finally, the time has come. You will not laugh at my fancies, my daughter, but will try and soothe my wounded heart. Why, you would even do your very best to carry out my wishes. It is with that hope that I now speak to you. And so it was that I boarded the ship and set off. When I reached Kodikarai, I learnt that Parandaka Chakravarti had arrived in Tanjai and so came here straight away to seek an audience. My grandfather was on his deathbed when I could finally see him. His heart was torn, his spirits depressed. This grand empire that he had built over 40 years, piece by piece, was in danger of disintegrating. His firstborn Rajaditya in whom he had every expectation of succeeding him on the throne was no more having lost his life in battle. The same war had seen my father Arinjayar terribly injured. No one was quite sure about his chances of survival. Kannaradevan's dreaded forces had wrested Tondai Mandalam and were advancing every day down south. The Pandyas had seized their chance to revolt. Our forces in Iram had lost the war as well and returned home. Tens of thousands of Chora warriors had lost their lives in countless battles. News of all these encounters had reached my aging, ailing grandfather and pushed him into a deep abyss of despair. It was at this juncture that we met and his spirits revived. I had always held a soft spot in his heart right from my childhood. He had kept me by his side in his palace for many years, unwilling to relinquish me to the outside world. It was with the greatest difficulty that I wrested permission to see combat in Ilangai. I had not been among the men who had returned from the island and my grandfather's heart was broken for he had given me up for lost. As it was not known for certain if I was dead, he had sent groups of men in search. It was one of these groups that eventually stumbled upon me. When I returned finally to Tanjai, his grieving heart was rather soothed. Hope had blossomed in him. A samrajyam that had begun to fall to ruin in his final days 
would return to its former glory somehow through my efforts. The court astrologers had done their best to nurture that hope, as though to ensure the fulfillment of this prophecy. Despite having four courageous warriors for sons, it was I, his only grandson, who was by his side during his last days. He called me to him as he was practically drawing his last breath and caressed my forehead. Tears poured down his weathered cheeks and he uttered a blessing. Appane, your uncle Kandaradittar will ascend the throne upon my death. You will inherit it after him. This ancient Samrajyam will come into its own and regain its magnificence only in your reign. He would repeat these words many times during those days. My only task, nay, duty, was to ensure the well-being and prosperity of Choranade, and I must dedicate my life towards achieving this lofty ideal, he said, and made me swear to honor this pledge. My devotion to my grandfather was equal to his love for me. It was no difficulty to promise to uphold his ideals and carry out his wishes. And yet, my heart was not at peace. That young woman, the career maiden who had saved my life from a bear on that island, what of her? Could a deaf mute, born into a base clan to boot, ever hope to ascend the Chora throne? For that matter, would she even be able to adapt to life in a palace? What of my countrymen? Wouldn't the citizens of Choranade make a laughing stock of me? These thoughts darted through my mind constantly. I was cast into confusion. Other issues served to increase my turmoil. My uncle, Kandaradittar, had recently entered into a second marriage. You know, of course, that his fortunate bride was the Maravariyar princess. His first wife had no issue. But where was the guarantee that his second wife would share the same fate? And if my Periyapa did beget a son, would I inherit the Chora throne? Of course, I was not the only one to be plagued by such doubts. Others besides me had already begun to consider them and their conversations happened to fall on my ears. But then, I suppose my uncle, the great man that he was, wished to banish such libellous discussions once and forever. When he was made king upon the death of Emperor Parandagar, Periyappa Kandaradittar ensured that I was crowned heir apparent by arranging for a Yuvaraja Pattabhisegam. My dearest daughter, you know the enormous affection our people cherish for your Thambi, Arunmuri, don't you? Well, they felt the same for me in those days. Thousands were waiting outside the palace walls, even as the Pattabhisegam ceremony took place within. They wished, you see, to have a glimpse of both the newly crowned king and his heir apparent. At the same time, I and my Piripa obliged them, of course, ascended to one of the upper balconies of this palace and stood by the front balustrade. Below us spread out a veritable sea of faces, all beaming with enthusiasm. A roar went up as everyone caught sight of us. 
overwhelmed by their delight, I wondered at my own selfishness. Here were tens of thousands of people voicing approval just because I had been crowned heir. Was it really fair of me to spend so much time worrying about a mute girl on a lonely island? What was more important, the happiness of an entire population or a single girl? Lost in these thoughts, I gazed upon the multitude of pleased citizens below me, scanning each of them, men, women, young ones and old, boys and girls, everyone was there and all seemed exhilarated upon the occasion. But suddenly, I stumbled across a face. A young woman's face, overwhelmed with sorrow, eyes brimming with tears, gaze locked onto mine. I had no idea how my eyes managed to find hers amongst the multitude of faces that swam underneath the balcony. But once I saw her, my sight and attention went nowhere else. That face, it grew and grew until it effaced the whole of the crowd gathered below. It blotted out the people standing by my side. The entrance to the palace, the battlements and ramparts of Tanjay Fort, even the very sky and earth. Everything vanished except for that face, which loomed over me like Devi Parameshwari's divine countenance filled with an unearthly glow. My head spun, legs lost their strength, and I, consciousness. I learned later that I fell and that those around supported me. They assumed that the Pattabhisegam and its attendant numerous concerns had been too much and sapped my strength. I had granted audience enough for the day it was decided and was brought inside. Once I came to myself, I called my friend Aniruddhan and told him, what I had seen. I gave him her description of the young woman, bade him find and bring her to me at any cost. He searched every corner of the city and returned with the news that he had been unable to find such a maiden anywhere, adding further that she had probably been a figment of my imagination. I was furious with him. What sort of a friend are you if you won't even do me this small favor? I screamed and bade men hunt along paths that led from Tanjay Fort towards the sea. Search parties did go out looking for a trace of her, and men went to Kodikare, came back with the news that they had run a mute maiden to earth in the lighthouse keeper's home. She seemed out of her mind. None of the gestures and ruses they used to communicate worked. She would not return with them to Tanjay. My mind churned when I was brought this news. I knew not what to do. Two days passed as I lurched from one chaotic thought to another. In vain did I try to forget her. I could think of nothing else but her day and night. In the end, I went to Kodikare myself in company of Aniruddhan. We sped in our way, driving our horses as swiftly as we could. I grew even more restless as we neared our destination. My confusion increased. If I should find this mute girl, what on earth was I supposed to do with her? Take her to Tanjay or Pariyare and proclaim, Here is my queen. My heart and body shrank with shame at the very thought. My beloved daughter, 
In those days, I had acquired a name, completely unnecessary and irrelevant, I might add, for my considerable good looks. I thought nothing of it, but then, obviously, others did, for they talked of it constantly. Despite being named Parandagan after my grandfather, I was soon awarded the sobriquet of Sundara, and so popular did it become that it completely eclipsed my given name. And to think that I, a man who had gained such a reputation, would be bringing a mute girl back to the palace. On the other hand, what else was I to do? It was in a considerably agitated state of mind that I arrived in Kodikare. But as it turned out, the good woman had solved all our problems for us. What I learned there struck me dumb with horror. The day after men I had sent left, the girl, it seemed, climbed into the very top of the lighthouse. It was a dark night, with no moon, and the wind had blown itself into a gale. The sea fraught and seethed, rushing into shore and surrounding the lighthouse. The girl stood up at the very top, peering down at the choppy waves. No one thought much of this. It seemed to have been a habit with her. And then, a scream, Yeel! that seemed to rise over the stormy seas. And the girl had vanished. One or two people glimpsed a woman's body toppling headfirst from the lighthouse into the sea. Boats were brought in and men searched in vain. But nothing could be found. In the end, they had to give it up. And it was decided that the sea had taken her. The moment I heard the news, I felt as though a spear had plunged into my chest. Such was my pain and sorrow. And yet, after a while, a curious sense of peace enveloped me as well. There was no need now to make provision for her, and certainly no need to worry myself to death about her. I returned to Tanjai in the same frame of mind, shrouded in a mixture of sorrow and peace. My thoughts now turned fully towards affairs of state. I went to war, swept into battlefields, married your mother, bore great sons and had the good fortune of having you, my daughter. And yet, my dear, I could not forget that wretch. Dead she might be, but her form never left my thoughts. Sometimes a horrible picture unfolded in my mind's eye, one that I never really saw but was frighteningly real nevertheless. The picture of a woman tumbling into the sea from the top of a lighthouse. I saw it both when I was awake and in my dreams. I awoke screaming during those nightmares and those beside would rush in with frantic questions asking if I was alright. Your mother has wished to know the reason for my distress many times. I have never told her. Sometimes I would say nothing. At others, I would imagine wartime horrors and recount gory details. Time showered me with his boundless grace and gradually her memory faded, as did she, at least so I consoled myself. It seems to me now that the dead are far more merciless than the living. My daughter, that Umachi, that mute woman's ghost, has never released me. For some time now, it has begun to haunt me more than ever. Kundavai, do you believe that the dead ever return? Sundarachora's eyes darted around, 
finally settling on and staring at some point far away. There was nothing in his line of sight, of course, and yet Kundabai could not help but notice the tremors that racked his frail body. A wave of immense pity rose in her heart. Her eyes filled. She buried her face in her father's chest and shed tears of love and pity. It seemed to help. The shivers subsided by degrees. Finally, she looked up. You've buried this horrible secret within yourself for years, Appa. How you have suffered. I'm not surprised that your health failed. Her voice was soothing. But you have shared your heartache with me now, haven't you? I'm sure you will regain your strength in no time. A spurt of laughter escaped Sundarachodar. But why was it tinged with sorrow and just a smidgen of disbelief? <laughs> you do not believe me, Kundabai, he said at last. You do not believe that the dead might return. And yet, last night, that wretched woman's ghost did haunt me. Right by that pillar behind the lamp. I saw her with my own eyes. How can I not believe such a sight? And if I were just jumping at shadows, what about your friend? She did faint at the sight and sound of something terrible, didn't she? Bring her here, Kundavai. The Chakravarti's voice shook with haste. I shall learn the truth myself. Vanadi is just a coward, Appa. I have no idea how the valiant valets of Kodumbalur could have borne such a faint-hearted girl, to be honest. She would shriek and keel over in a faint at the very sight of a pillar looming in the darkness. There's no point in asking her. She's unlikely to have seen or heard anything at all. Do you think so indeed? Never mind her then. Listen to the rest of what I have to say. I did not have faith in the return of dead people either for a long time. I believed that my weak mind was playing tricks on me. You remember the time we were on the boat on the Kaveri and lost young Arunmari Varman, don't you? Just as we were all dumbstruck with horror, wondering what on earth to do, a lady rose from the waters holding aloft the child. She vanished once Arunmari reached the safety of our arms. You cannot have forgotten this incident as we have discussed it about a thousand times. All of you were convinced that it was the river goddess Kaveriamman herself who had saved him. But do you know what I thought? That it was the Umachi, the Valenyar maiden, who had lifted the child from the waters. You remember that I lost consciousness then too, don't you? You assumed that the danger to the child had overwhelmed my senses. But that was not the truth. After all these years, I must admit, I fainted because it seemed to me that it was the mute girl's spirit that had saved Arunmari. Do you remember the day of your brother's Yuvaraja Pattabhisegam, my daughter? Once the ceremony was done, Aditya Karigalan went to the Andapuram to receive the blessings of the royal mothers, didn't he? I was right behind him and I saw, I saw that wretched Umachi's ghost among the ladies bending its horrifying, ruthless gaze upon him. I lost consciousness once again, 
Later, when I went over the incident in my mind, certain suspicions reared up in my mind. Why must she stare at Adityan in such a terrifying fashion, I wondered. I suspected that this too might just be the panicked fancy of my weakened brain. But this time, my dear, this time when I arrived in Tanjay, all my doubts were at an end. Once, daughter, when she was still alive, I possessed the gift of reading her thoughts just by a look at her face. One glance at her moving lips and I knew what she wished to say. Now I have regained that gift, Kundavai. She has come to me four or five times by now, before midnight, and delivered her warning. You killed me, but for that crime I forgive you. Do not sin again. This kingdom belongs by right to one. Do not will it away to another. And I understood her message as though she had gained the gift of speech somehow and spoken the words to me clearly. I knew what I had to do, my daughter, and I look at you to help me carry it out. This accursed kingdom, this tarnished Chora throne, need not pass to my sons. Let us bequeath it instead to Madhurandagan. Appa, how can you? Kundavai burst out at this point, unable to bear it anymore. Where's the need to change the arrangement that was agreed upon by the whole kingdom and has been so for years? And even if you should wish for it, would the world truly approve? What does the world's approval matter? My duty is towards dharma, to see that justice is done at all times. My mind was not at peace when I was made heir. Neither was I happy at being crowned king. My conscience smote me. It was not right that I, the son of a younger brother, should rule, while the elder brother's son remained without a crown. Now I suffer the result of such a terrible transgression. Must my sons undergo the same punishment? Neither Aditan nor Arunmari need rule this land. They need not endure this curse either. Madhurandagan must be crowned heir while I live. Then I shall retire to Adityan's golden palace in Kanchi and spend the rest of my days in peace. But Periya Pirati must approve of all this, mustn't she, Appa? Ah, this is where I require your assistance, my dear. You must convince the lady to come here somehow. What a strange twist of fate that she, an expert on all matters of justice, must be ignorant regarding this issue. Why must she drive me towards committing such a great sin? What possible grudge could she hold against her own son? Why does she act in a way that is contrary to the very nature of motherhood? There was some justification for her stance, I admit, as long as Madhurandagan himself was lost in devotion, claiming to spend his life in divine pursuits. But now that he wishes to ascend the throne himself, how unfair to bequeath it to someone else. He may well wish to inherit this land, Appa, but what about being worthy of it? Why, what of that? The son of Saint Kandaraditar and one of the most enlightened women of our times, the Maravarayar princess. How much worthier need one be, pray? Well, ignoring the worthiness part of it, what about the approval of the people? If we were to ask our subjects, my dear, 
they would insist on crowning your younger brother at once. Would that be just, do you think? And would your brother truly wish it? No, my daughter, this will not serve. Make sure to bring your grandmother somehow soon. Send her a message that I am battling Yama even as we speak. She must come here without a moment's delay if she wishes to see me alive. Unnecessary, Appa. Periya Pirati has entertained a wish to renovate the Tanjai Talikulatta temple for a while now. I shall remind her of it and ask her to visit. In the meantime, I must beg of you to rest and not overexert yourself. Kundavai took leave and left for her quarters, meeting her mother, Vanama Devi, on the way. Don't leave my father alone for a moment, Amma. The others may perform all the rituals and fasts they please, but you must remain with him. Vague suspicions that had plagued her for a while were beginning to resolve themselves. Pitch blackness was now beginning to give way in some places to light. Her quick mind had already warned that a dangerous web of conspiracy was beginning to wind its treacherous, mysterious tendrils around her father and her brothers. What had eluded her thus far were the details. What sort of plot was being hatched and how was it being perpetrated? But she did realize more clearly than ever that the Chora Samrajyam, not to mention her own brother's right to it, was being seriously threatened. And the burden of safeguarding both kingdom and king rested, she believed firmly, on a woman, Kundavai herself. <laughs>